That was very good. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I actually get the wonderful privilege of teaching all of these young people, except two of them. It was my pastor's favorite joke. He had a daughter in the church, and he would always do that. If she was in a singing group, there could be three ladies singing a ladies' trio, and he would always do that every time without fail. I still laughed every time because it was great. He'd, he'd get up, and he'd say, man, I love these ladies, all three of them, my daughters, except two of them. In the church, they'd, they'd take a second. All right, all right, very funny. Uh, I am looking forward to, hey, choir class. I do get to teach two of them, though. So, hey, Lily, Levi, choir class is going to be great. Solos? Yeah? All right, wonderful. It is a great opportunity and privilege to be able to preach. You're already there in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll read a few more verses. It is my prayer and my hope that this sermon tonight will be an encouragement to you. That is my goal. That's my aim. And so let's read a little bit together from the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 here. We'll begin again in verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so did these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. Jump down to verse 12 with me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution." But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I don't often watch the news. It's not a pastime for me. For me, it seems a little too depressing, and I, 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 I'll know what's going on in the world. Uh, oftentimes, my phone will suggest things, or it'll throw up headlines. I know, for the most part, what's going on in the world. I don't bury my head in the sand, but I don't sit down to the nightly news and watch it. It just, it's, it's too much. Every headline, it seems, is some kind of disaster, some kind of calamity, some kind of just horrible thing that's happened, a tragedy, natural, natural disaster. Economic hardship, political instability, violent attacks, and more seem to be common occurrences. Sometimes it seems daily. Our world is a dark place right now. Even just here, in just the United States alone, there were over 1.2 million suicide attempts in the year 2020. Over 1.2 million people tried to kill themselves in just one country in one year here on our earth. It's a dark place. According to an international study done by Pew Research back in 2018, only 27%, on average, only 27% of people believe religion has an important role in their country. Only a quarter of people around the world, on average, believe that religion plays an important role in their country. The world has become increasingly wicked, it seems. Every day, some new atrocity has taken place. But church, never fear. Don't worry. Things may be bad now, but they will get worse. <laughs> I, I didn't misspeak. I, I assure you, I intentionally said that, yes. Things are bad now, but they'll get worse. Don't worry. Things will get worse. This is this an encouraging message? Yeah. All right. Stay with me now. Listen. 
Things will get worse. Yes, what are our last days characterized by? In the last days, perilous times shall come. Perilous means dangerous. It means caution. That means there, there's dangers in these days. What kind of dangers are we going to face in the last days? What's the world going to be characterized by? What will be the common thread found throughout the world's culture in the last days? See, this sounds familiar. Pride. It's all about me, selfishness. It's all about me. What can I get for myself? I got to promote myself. Well, how did Paul describe men in the last days? Boastful. It's all about me. How can I market myself to others? How can I make a video or a post on social media about myself to really make sure that the, the majority of people can see me and it's positive and they look at me and they like me and I got to make sure I got lots of likes on my picture and my video because it's all about me. I got to look good. What can I do for myself? Pride, selfishness, violence. And not, not just physical violence. Yes, the world is full of that. But the hateful, violent words that are spewed out of people's mouths, on, on, on all sides, from every direction, from every walk of life. Heaven help us in our own churches. It's a sad day when I, heard, when I hear somebody who's supposed to be a man of God, somebody I look up to in a church, not here, but somebody I may have heard who says hurtful, hateful things that are not Christ-like. When, when I hear somebody start talking about what's going on in the world, saying, man, those abortion doctors, I hope they burn in hell. Caution, church, caution. That's not our place. Are those people sinners? Yes. Are they murderers? Yes. That's not our place to mete out judgment upon them. What was Christ's command? The second greatest command, love thy neighbor as thyself. He's speaking to that lawyer and he said, what is the first and greatest commandment? Master, teach me. What's the greatest commandment? To love thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. And he continued without even being asked. And the second is like unto it. And the lawyer, oh, he's got more. The second is like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself. That interaction is followed by the story of the Good Samaritan. When Jesus explains, who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Look around, church, and you'll see your neighbor in the pews next to you. Look outside the church as you're driving home and you stop at the fast food restaurant. When you go through the drive through window, that's your neighbor. When you go to downtown Martinsburg and you pass by that drunk stumbling down the street, that's your neighbor. You are to love them as you love yourself. Amen. Go ahead. Come on. The last days are characterized by pride, selfishness, violence, immorality. It's a sad world we live in. You cannot go a day without seeing some form of immorality impressed upon you in any kind of media. Digital media, print media. You drive down the road and there's immorality plastered all over the place. It's a sad world we live in. One that I am sorry I have to raise my son in. But nonetheless, it's the world that God has allowed us to live in. Immorality, deceit. What did, what did verse number uh, 11, what, or verse 13, excuse me, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. deceived. There's lying, there's deceit. Our world, that, that sounds a lot like the world we're living in right now, Christian. Right now. There's pride, there's selfishness, there's violence, there's immorality, there's deceit, there's boastfulness. There are people without natural affection. There are truce breakers, false accusers. Sounds a lot like the world we're living in. But they had this back in Paul's day as well. Timothy saw this, these same things. This is nothing new. Now, yes, our world is probably a bit more wicked just because of the access we have to all kinds of things because of technology. 
But don't worry, church. As bad as the world is right now, it'll get worse. Don't you worry. It'll get worse. There will come a day when the sinful nature of man will be unrestrained by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Thessalonians, it says this, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way, and then shall that wicked be revealed. At the time of the rapture, when Christ calls, calls away his church and calls them up, with us comes the Holy Spirit. He will no longer remain on earth in a full-time capacity. He will still operate throughout the tribulation because there will be believers during that time. But full-time, the Holy Spirit will be gone, and with him goes that restraint over the sinful nature of man. Without control of some kind, mankind is capable of unspeakable things. Even now, during this age when the Holy Spirit is upon earth and works, we've had some pretty unspeakable atrocities. The Holocaust, the deaths of tens of millions in Soviet Russia. The world is bad enough now, but what will it be like when the Holy Spirit is gone and sin is allowed to run rampant and is encouraged and is glorified more so than it's glorified today? In the last days, the spirit of Antichrist will be even more pervasive than it is now. The Apostle John speaks of it several times in his epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. That phrase, spirit of Antichrist, is mentioned several times. That's not speaking of the individual, the Antichrist. That's speaking of a spirit within mankind's heart that is against Christ, that is anti-against Christ. That spirit is all these things we just listed in 2nd Timothy. The pride, the selfishness, the violence, the boastfulness, all of that is that spirit of Antichrist, and that will be the order of the day at that point. Thankfully, we will not be here for the worst of it. Because in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we'll be raptured, we'll be caught up away from it, and we won't have to deal with the tribulation. Praise God we don't have to be here for the tribulation. Amen. Because at that point, God's justice will be poured out upon the earth. Those different judgments that he will have, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the vile judgments, their purpose, among others, is to punish the world, to punish the sin that has apparently, it looks like, for thousands of years have gone, has gone unpunished. But we, we look at all these, all these past instances in the Bible where different men of God have looked to God and said, why are the wicked allowed to flourish like this? Even, even I, I love the songs we sang today. They were wonderful. They were perfect for this message that I had. Uh, even in the song, Farther Along, some of the verses talk about this. Uh, Tempted and tried, we're often made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long, while there are others living about us, never molested, though in the wrong. Later on, it talks about uh, death taking our loved ones and leaving our homes empty. It says, why do, then do we wonder why others prosper living so wicked year after year? We look at that and we wonder, God, why do you allow that to happen? But we'll be gone. The judgments will come. We won't have to deal with it. Amen. But before even the rapture gets here, the world will still, continue, will still continue to get worse and worse. 2 Timothy 3.12, we read it earlier. It says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Not might suffer persecution. Not could suffer persecution. He makes it very clear here. Jesus says it as well. I'll touch on this in a little bit. He says, if you follow my commands, if you follow biblical living, you will suffer persecution. Why? Why? God, why on earth do we have to suffer persecution just because I'm following your commands? Because you're different. 
The world looks at someone who follows the Bible and does what it says, who follows God's commands, who lives a biblical life. They're weird. What do you do? What do you mean? What do you mean you don't do this, that, or the other? Why don't you sin like everybody else? Why are you having a nice solid family unit that sticks together, doesn't divorce after a, after a month or two? Why do you not go out and party and drink? You're strange. The world doesn't like different, and it will persecute different. If you follow biblical teaching, you shall suffer persecution. That's what it says in Scripture. Wickedness will be like it was in the days of Noah. Jesus said that himself. He says, it will be as in the days of Noah. What was it like back in Noah's day? Bad enough that God destroyed the world with a flood. The Bible describes it as the man's heart, the imagination of his wick, the, the, the uh, oh, I lost that. I had it written down and I forgot it. Imagine if his heart was only evil continually. Everything man did was all revolved around wickedness. And he said it's going to be like that again. We're moving that way. It's bad right now. Don't worry. It'll get worse. Not just in the world either. Church, listen to me. The church will also be suffering. The spirit of Laodicea will be ruling. Go ahead and start turning to Revelation chapter 3, if you would, please. Revelation chapter 3. The church of Laodicea. It's one of the seven churches in Asia Minor that were addressed in the book of Revelation by John. Well, by Jesus through John. And he's speaking to these churches and telling them some good things, some bad things, depending on the church. The church in Laodicea had nothing good said to them by Jesus. It was all rebuke. It was all wrong things. We are currently in that church age. Looking through Scripture, its descriptions and what all is happening right now, we are living in the Laodicea age. I'm not saying that this church, Shenandoah Bible Baptist Church, is like Laodicea. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we live in that time period. 2 Timothy 3.5, we read it earlier. It speaks of how uh, these people have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Form of godliness. What that means, form, is referring to there's an organization to it. Organized religion and our current day and age has failed to stem the flow of wickedness around the world. It doesn't matter how many edicts the Pope sends out from the Vatican. Nothing's going to change unless there's true repentance and revival. You're in Revelation chapter 3. Let's see what the spirit of Laodicea is. Let's see how bad it gets. Starting in verse number 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, notice it's the Laodiceans church. It's not Christ's church anymore. Christ has nothing to do with this church anymore. It's the church of the Laodiceans. It's theirs now. Right. These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent." Church of the Laodiceans, their church, their church, 
They built that church. They gave them money to get those pews in that church. It wasn't God's church anymore. It wasn't Christ's church anymore. It was the people's church. In fact, the word Laodicea, it has a, a connotation of the rights or rule of the people. The people. It's about how they're going to rule. They're in authority now because what need have they of God? They are rich. They have need of nothing is what they said. Oh, church, heaven help us. The spirit of Laodicea is prideful. Didn't we just say that was a spirit of the last days when the wicked men shall come, perilous times will come? What was one of the characteristics? They were proud. And that same pride has worked its way into our churches. Oh, Brother Horton, oh, I'm, I'm not prideful. I'm just trying to live a good Christian life. I'm not like those other people. Let me stop you right there. That statement right there, that scares me. I'm not like those worldly people over there. We look down on them as they walk into our church seeking a relationship with God. They don't dress like I do. I make sure that I dress modestly and appropriately all the time. Well, amen, I'm glad you do, but that's not the right spirit you're supposed to have with it. That's a spirit of pride and of arrogance. They were prideful. They were lukewarm. They were neither hot nor cold. Jesus said he'd rather them be cold. He said, I'd rather have you be cold than keep sitting on the fence. Doing nothing, complacency, apathy. Those are the other two characteristics I see in the church of Laodicea in their spirit. Prideful, lukewarm, complacent, and apathetic. Every school year at the start, I tell my students one of the most dangerous words, one of the most dangerous characteristics you can have as a student in our classes here at our school is apathy. Most of them look at me and go, what's apathy, Brother Lord? And I have to explain what the word means. It's a good vocabulary lesson. And I teach them that apathy is that, I don't care. Eh, whatever. Eh. And they just kind of shrug their shoulders. They don't care one way or another. Apathy is almost more dangerous than open rebellion. Because it's so subtle sometimes. It's sometimes hidden down deep in the heart. It's deep-rooted of just, I just don't really care a whole lot. What's the point of that? That's dangerous in school. How much more dangerous when in a Christian life we come to a church and we just kind of go, I heard Brother Martini talk about the buses, but I just, I mean, it's, it's okay. You know, somebody will, somebody will drive. Those kids will get there eventually. Apathetic. Brother Horton, when do we get to the encouraging part? Now, we're, we're there now. We're there now. I promise. This is an encouraging message. Yes, things are bad. Yes, things will get worse. However things will get better. Things will get much better. Turn quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you would, please. We'll start in verse number 51. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. I'll start reading for sake of time. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, 
Where's thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Woo, amen. Come on. That's good right there. Come on now. Things might be bad right now. I understand that. I'm seeing the same world that you see, but it will get better. Oh, it'll get much better. Because in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we'll be caught up. We'll be raptured together with our Lord in the air, and we will be with him evermore. That's good right there. One of the scariest moments in most people's lives is the end of life, is death. You talk to an unsaved person and they don't like the uncertainty. They don't like not knowing what happens next. Because if you ask them, most of them will be honest, I don't know what happens after we die. But for us as Christians, that ending point is just the beginning. Because guess what? If you have Christ in your heart and you're saved, you have life eternal, everlasting life. Whew. That's good stuff right there. After a Christian's death is life everlasting. John 3, 16, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. What's it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 10, 28, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's telling them, I've got something for you. He says, and I give unto them eternal life. Romans 6, 23, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 John 5, 11 says this, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Why? That ye may know that ye have that ye may know that ye have eternal life. That ye may know that ye have eternal life. And that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Eternal life is waiting on the other side of death. Sounds a lot better than this current life to me. A lot better. Brother Horton, you're a young, you're just a youngin. You don't know. I understand. I've not seen as much life as some of you all, dear church people. I've seen some life, though. I've been through hard times. And I can say, without a doubt, I'd rather be on the other side enjoying everlasting life with my Savior. What else awaits us on the other side? How much better can it get? That sounds pretty good. Everlasting life? Woo, that sounds good. How much better, Brother Horton? I'm glad you asked. John chapter 14 says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Don't be, don't be troubled. Don't get worked up over this terrible, horrible life. Brother Horton said it's going to get worse. Well, yeah, I did, but Jesus said it's going to get better. Amen. Go ahead, Jesus. Go ahead. All right, he will. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. Where Jesus is, I'm going to be too. I'm going to be right there with him. I'm going to have my own mansion. I'm going to get to spend time with Jesus. Oh, boy, come on now. Now we're getting there. Where are we going to be? He says, where I am. Where's that at? Heaven. Revelation 21. We're turning to a lot of scripture. Stay with me, church. Revelation 21 tells us in great detail about our eternal home. Revelation 21 and 22 speak in great detail. I'm not going to take time to read through all these passages, but I'll give you a few select verses. John is speaking here, and he starts off in verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. 
Then he starts talking about the holy city. New Jerusalem, our eternal home someday. Coming down. And what, what does he see? The angel takes him up and he says, write what you see. We'll jump ahead and we'll come over to, oh, where is it? Verse number 11, describing the city, having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high, and had 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and the names there written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. Speaks about the wall having 12 foundations. The foundations were each precious stones. The gates were a giant pearl. Moving again past the foundations that he speaks of. And the city, verse 23, had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. No more night. Amen. Moving along to, verse, to chapter 22, verse 1. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in, in the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river, was there a tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations." And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Dear church members, our eternal home is beyond description. These words don't do justice to the majesty that we're going to see someday. Whether it be by the rapture or by way of death, when God's chosen children get to their eternal home, they will look around with wonder at the incredible sights that will be there. I can't wait. It's going to be a good time. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. Oh, Brother Horton, you're just a young in. You're just a young in. Most times it's the older saints who are talking about, I can't wait to get to heaven. It's all right for a young man to do that as well, right? It's all right. Heaven sounding sweeter all the time. It is, I'll tell you. I don't have to say goodbye anymore in heaven. I don't have to say goodbye to loved ones. I don't have to watch as my loved ones get cancer and pass on. I don't have to say goodbye anymore. They're going to be there forever with me. I'm going to be able to spend eternity with my family. That's all you, by the way. You're all the family of God, amen. So we'll get to spend eternity together. That's okay. I get to spend eternity celebrating our wonderful Savior. Oh, church, I tell you what. Eternity won't be long enough for us to sing the praises of our wonderful God. I don't deserve to be there. None of us do. I'll tell you what, these, sins, these sinful lips have no right praising our God and singing his praises. These sinful hands have no right doing the ministry of the work of God. This old wretched sinner that I am, I've got no right to be in heaven. I don't deserve it, and neither do you. But praise God. He said, I will be merciful to you. I will send my son. He will die on the cross for you. He will rise again in three days. He will pay the price. He paid the price. It's going to get good. Things are bad now. I know. Things are bad. The economy's down. The housing markets, oh, the bubble's about to burst. Oh, what about our president? What's he going to do next? Oh, I don't know about that Russia over there. I'm not too worried about it because I got an eternal home in heaven that I'm going to go to real soon. I don't know when. I don't know how soon. But in the grand scheme of eternity, it's real soon. So we know that things are bad. They're going to get worse. But they're going to get better. 
What do we do with that knowledge? How do we use that as Christians? Church, we come now to the application. How do we use it? We use it as encouragement in fulfilling the Great Commission. Mark 16, 15. This is Jesus speaking. He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Every creature. Now, I had this message already started, prepared, and I knew what I was speaking on well before Pastor's message last Sunday when I heard it and he preached on soul winning. This was not an intentional dovetail. It was an unintentional one worked out by the, by the sovereign will of God. But I'm going to preach on soul winning again because it's a good thing to preach on. Amen? Amen. Amen. Soul winning's good. Isn't that our job as Christians? Yes, it is. That was God's command to Christians. He said, I'm leaving you behind. You've got a job to do. Spread the gospel. Spread the gospel. We ought to use the encouragement of knowing life could be real bad. In fact, how bad could it get? We pass someone up on the street. We don't give them that track. We don't speak to them like the Holy Spirit told us to. That person passes into eternity unsaved, and they go to a Christless hell for eternity. We know how bad that is. We have the knowledge in the book of God right there. We have the knowledge of how bad it could be, but we also have the knowledge of how good it could be. We could share the gospel with that person. We could let them know about the good news of salvation, the gospel, good news, gospel, good news. And we could tell them there's a way that you can avoid going to hell and go to heaven and be a part of that family of God that's going to be rejoicing around the throne of God for all eternity, singing his praises. Let me share with you how to do that. And so the Great Commission, we use this as encouragement to fulfill the Great Commission in a couple of different ways. Number one, through personal soul winning. I'm preaching to myself right now. Brother Horton fails at this. I don't always go soul winning as well as I ought to, as often as I ought to, or as much intention as I ought to. Intention, what do you mean? Intentional soul winning. Not just track. Not track. Yeah, if we hurry up, maybe we can get to the restaurant real quick intentional soul winning. I'm going to knock on this door with the intention, the hope, the prayer that I can talk to someone and tell them what this book says about being saved. Intentional soul winning. Personal soul winning. We should use the knowledge we have of how bad things could be or how good they could be and use that knowledge as encouragement. i got to tell people about this. i got to warn them about this. I've got to tell people about heaven. I have to. Personal soul winning. Secondly, through tithing. What, Brother Horton, how on earth did you get money shoehorned into this one? No, listen to me now. Listen to me. Tithing is you supporting the local church and its ministries, its gospel ministries to reach local areas. So we use the knowledge of I have to make sure people know the good news of how good things could get I'm going to make sure I tithe then so I can support the church. That way it can continue to function and operate. Likewise, in your faith-promised missions giving, spreading the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth, countless millions around the world who have never heard the name of Jesus, who have never heard that there is a place called heaven, who have never heard that they are a sinner who needs Christ. We can't go everywhere, church. We can't be in all places all the time. That's why we give monies to missionaries to support them in their efforts to go around the world and spread the gospel. How do we use this knowledge of how bad it might be, how good it will get? We use it as an encouragement to serve our God. As an encouragement to serve our God. We know what takes place and how wonderful heaven will be. Part of what makes it so wonderful 
is this. The Bible tells us that we will receive rewards, crowns, for our service to God done with the right motivations. Those crowns are not for us to keep. We're not going to go to heaven with a pile of crowns and start gloating to each other. Ha <laughs> ha, look at all these shiny crowns I have. I have so many I can't wear them all at once. <laughs> no, those crowns serve a purpose. They are for us to then cast back at the feet of Jesus and say, we're not worthy for these crowns. Jesus, take them back. You're the only one worthy for these. And it's a sad reality that at that time, there will be some people there in heaven who will stand by with their hands behind their back going, I don't have anything to give. Christ, I'm so sorry. They're still in heaven. They're still saved. They still receive that reward of salvation, but they have nothing to give to their Savior. And the pain that they will feel, the sorrow they will feel, Pastor spoke about it, how most likely those tears won't be wiped away until after that takes place. There will be sorrow that day when you have to stand there with your hands in your pocket going, I don't have anything to give to Christ. I don't have any crowns to give because we didn't use this as encouragement to say, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to join a bus route. I'm going to get involved in a children's ministry. I'm going to clean the church on a Monday morning and I'm going to pick up trash from beneath the pews. That's something. It seems so small, Brother Horton, but it's so little. It's not as important as, you know, preaching. Every job's important. Absolutely. Every little thing done by our church members is vitally important to the ministry of this church. Amen. Amen. Cast out the spirit of Laodicea in our church, in our service. Don't make it prideful. Don't serve because, well, I want to make sure everybody sees me, everybody knows that I'm doing a good job, and they all mention it, and I get lots of accolades and all the attentions on me. Who's the attention supposed to go to? What did John the Baptist say? He must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist, Jesus himself said, there's no one like him born of woman. That's Jesus. That's high praise. But what did John say? I'm not even worthy to do the, the latchet on his shoe. None of us are worthy. Next, encouragement to be content. Philippians 4, Paul is speaking. He says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Church, let's be very honest right now. We like stuff. I like stuff. I like money. Okay? I like having money to buy food and things like that. That's always great. However, Paul's speaking here of learning to be content, satisfied with whatever we have. That doesn't mean we ought to be content with a little cardboard box on the side of the road. I'm happy with my tiny little house and my broken down car. doesn't mean every Christian has to be dirt poor and miserable. It's not what it's saying. What did Paul say? He said, I know both how to be abased and how to abound. Abased, lowered, reduced down, to abound. A Christian living a biblical life ought to know how to appropriately and properly deal with wealth. God gives wealth to some Christians. That's okay. It's okay for a Christian to be rich. Oh, as long as they use that money appropriately, correctly, and they are content, they are satisfied with what they have. Because God may have given them that money for the service of the church. Amen. To be content. Because guess what? I can have all the money here. 
that's nothing compared to what I'm going to have over there. Because guess what? It's good right now, but it's going to get better. It's good right now. God's been very good to me, but it's going to get better. It's going to get so much better. And so I ought to be content with what I have now because I'm going to have a whole lot more on the other side of death. Encouragement to be content. Encouragement through suffering. This is really the culmination of the message, church. I ask that you listen carefully. This is where I wanted to be the most encouraging to you. We use this knowledge of, yeah, things are bad. They're going to get worse, but they are going to get better to help us in encouragement through suffering. 2 Timothy 3.12, I've mentioned it several times now. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In the Beatitudes, Jesus is speaking here in Matthew 5. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice! It's a strange word to follow. Persecution, hatred, reviling. Christ, you want us to rejoice? Yeah, rejoice! And be exceeding glad. Not just a little glad, but yes, amen. I'm being persecuted for Jesus' sake. Amen, that's good. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Suffering here is temporary, but our joy is eternal. Brother Horton, you don't understand. You don't know what I'm going through. What do you mean my suffering is temporary? This is difficult. I have no desire to make light of anyone's suffering. I'm certain that there are people in our church that are hurting very much, who have gone through a lot. My heart breaks for you. But our focus, at some point, as we mature in Christ, must be more eternal. Our focus must go beyond our current circumstances and look at a much bigger picture, the picture of eternity. That's an easy thing to say and a very hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do. We as humans, we don't think in an infinite scope because we're not God. We can't. We tend to focus on the here and now. But can I encourage you to remember things might be bad right now, but they will get better. Someday. This too shall pass. Someday, when this is all over, You'll be sitting there, worshiping your Savior, enjoying the splendors of heaven for eternity. And once you're there, I can't say this with scriptural authority, but I'm certain once you're there, the moments here on life, they'll be faded away. You won't be thinking of that time that oh, you got hurt by that person in the church and you just were so frustrated and angry and bitter. You won't be thinking about that time because you're going to be too focused on your Savior, in front of you, there. You can touch him. You can hold him. You can praise him in person. Our focus must be eternal. Looking back, I'm going to go quickly back to the book of 2 Corinthians. You don't need to turn there for sake of time. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Oh, that's so good right there. Cast down, but not destroyed. Verse 14. 
knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of joy. Our affliction here on earth is but for a moment. Church, I know, in the moment it seems long. That moment feels like an eternity. But you have to look at eternity. Let your focus be eternal. And that will help you to move through suffering, knowing that things are bad, but they'll get better. They'll get better. But not only that, that'll help you in the encouragement of those other areas. When your focus is eternal, it'll help you see the value of souls so much more. Because every single soul you see walking down the street, passing by in a car, that's a soul that will spend forever in heaven or hell. Our focus must be eternal. Jesus said it himself in Matthew 6, verses 19 and 20. That's where he speaks, Lay not up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. What does he tell us to do instead? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Our eternal treasures come not from the temporary things we find here of earth, but instead through our service, our efforts to do God's work. Lastly here, it helps to encourage others from your experience. Encouragement through suffering allows us to encourage others from your experience. Prayerfully, if you have a difficult time in your life, God helps you to work through it. He allows you to come through the other side and you're not bitter, but you've gotten better. Would you allow God to use your experience to then help other hurting people? Because you're the best person to help. You, you were a hurting person. You know exactly what they're going through and those pains, those sorrows. And you could be such an encouragement to them. You could help them so much to walk through that dark valley. Now, yes, it's God who will hold their hand all the way through. But you could still be a help. You can help teach them these same things. Hey, I know it's hard. Things are bad. But they'll get better. No matter how dark and sinful our world will get, we as Christians have the light of Christ in our hearts. So how will we respond? Things are bad and they're going to get worse. In other words, they're going to get so bad. Oh. Are we going to mope around having pity parties in our churches? Oh, it's so wicked out there. It's so terrible. There's nothing we can do about it. Well, you're right there. At least you got one thing, right? There's nothing we can do about it, but there is a lot that Jesus Christ can do about it. And we, as long as we go in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can help along with that. We can share the good news of the gospel. So are we going to sit around and just, woe is us. Oh, the church is dying and no young people want to get in the church anymore. Nobody wants to get saved anymore. Maybe you're not talking to the right people. Try talking to some more people. And if they don't get saved, talk to a few more. If they don't get saved, guess what? Talk to a few more. Keep talking to them until they get saved. And then after that person gets saved, you help lead them and grow them. And then as they grow more, you tell them, hey, your turn now. You go tell people. And you tell more people about Jesus until somebody gets saved. And you continue doing that until God calls you home. 
Will we allow the light to shine through us to light a path to salvation in Christ? Will we use this light to drive away darkness, to reveal that things are bad, but they will get better? Amen? Things are bad. I know, church, I see it. But they'll get better. Every head bowed, every eye closed right now. Our Father, I do thank you for the great opportunity, the great privilege, and the great responsibility you allowed me to have in order to speak your word tonight. Father, it is my prayer that it wasn't my words tonight, but Lord, that your words shone forth. Father, I pray your scriptures did the convicting, Father. I pray that your Holy Spirit is the one that was doing the convincing and not me. Father, I do pray for myself, me first, that I would follow these same things. Lord, that I would live out the teachings and the things that I preached about, dear God. I pray you'll help me to be an encouragement to others. Lord, 